Hey, everybody. It's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there, Steve. Hiya. And today we are talking The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension, a 1984 cult classic starring Peter Weller, Clancy Brown, and uh, um, um, Jeff Goldblum. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Goldblum, yeah. And Alan Parkin. <laughs> mm-hmm. Among others, there's Christopher Lloyd's in this movie. It is a smorgasbord of character actors from the 80s. Oh, yes, absolutely. Interesting point of trivia is um, the actor who portrayed the voice of Martian Manhunter in Justice League is also in this film as a major character. The movie? Uh, No, in the animated series, Carl Lumley. He is, he's the, the Jamaican alien that sides with the... Uh, John something or other. Right. All of them are John. Yeah. The only, the only character, the only John I remember in the film is John Big Booty. Right. Big Booty. Big Booty. Big Booty! Right. That guy's in this film. I forget his name, but he's in a, that, that balding guy with a slow eye. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that guy. Shoot, I can't remember his name either. But he's a well-known character actor who turns up in lots of things. Yeah, everyone in this in this film are well-known character actors, mm-hmm. and that's part of the problem I had with it. Why well, too too much star power in the, in the ensemble? It's not, well, it's not really star power considering it's 1984. Well, I mean, you know, all of these guys are. You know, the main cast is are very talented actors. Um sure. In, in their own <laughs> in their not, own I'm way. Not, I mean, I'm Christopher not. Lloyd, Christopher Lloyd is brilliant. John Lithgow is I'm is not funny. on the uh the gold bloom bandwagon that everybody seems to be on these days. Well, I'm just speaking of Lithgow, um Christopher Lloyd and Clancy Brown. Clancy Brown is always a treat wherever he turns up. Yeah, I was actually surprised that that was Clancy Brown. It running everything. For those of you who haven't seen the film, Buckaroo Banzai. Consider yourselves lucky. Consider yourself <laughs> Steve did not like this movie. I, yeah, I, I enjoyed this movie, and I'll get into why in a minute. Uh, the main character, Buckaroo Banzai, played by Peter Weller, is a neuro is a half American, half Japanese. Right. He was a neurosurgeon who decided he didn't like being a neurosurgeon uh, all that much. So he traveled the world, learned martial arts, uh, became a physicist, and a rock and roll guitar player. Among others, he's a, he played also pocket trumpet and keys as well. Mm-hmm. And sang. And he travels the world with his band literal band of science of maverick scientists mm-hmm. the hong, hong kong cavaliers yeah it's kind of like josie and the pussycats but not as interesting there's there's a lot of things going on in this film i mean first off it is it's kind of a, a riff on doc savage it's the no. buckaroo bonsai character is very much doc savage he can do everything and what he can't do or what he's not particularly specialized in, he has somebody on his team who is. Yeah, but he actually can do everything. Right. It's it. 
it was kind of boring <laughs> just because he could do everything and it almost felt like he had his pals surrounding him just because he couldn't be in two places at one time but really he kind of was yeah he uh yeah anyway i'll i'll, I'll shut up because you know, a lot of people do enjoy this film right it is it has, it has cult classic status yes um i just must not be in that particular cult right well buckaroo bonsai pierces what he calls the eighth dimension which is a pocket universe that occupies the uh empty space within all matter yeah so he gets he he reinvents a machine mm -hmm. that that allows him to uh travel into the spaces between matter where... well he has the he has the one of the original inventors on staff so rather i'd right. say he perfects the machine right the the actor who's actually japanese right instead of half american right it was the 80s who gave a shit right uh, yeah it was 84 it's very very 80s big shoulder pads skinny ties the the whole nine uh even uh cheesy synthesizer music i think that's just because they couldn't afford to to um have an orchestra play music because they blew it all on all these character actors oh that's a possibility as well um there, there are some like edit weird editing mistakes that that cut out chunks of the movie um like for example when uh big bootay runs buckaroo bonsai off the road and then he calls back and he's all sweaty and so i was like okay what happened to him in that interceding period it's it's funny you should mention that because this movie um was one of those movies that was early rotation hbo mm-hmm um, along with Beastmaster, right, and Lion in Winter, um, this you, it was constantly on when I was a kid, and I've I've seen it before, and I wasn't impressed then, um, and mainly it's because it's kind of confusing because of these edits. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't flow very well, right, and that uh, it. it I, that that's the thing I ask about a movie. The bare minimum in a movie is: can you easily just follow what's going on, even if it's a big convoluted plot? Is it all there in the movie? Mm -hmm. And and this kind of falls short for right. that criteria. Now, I I don't really think that this movie was intentionally made to be serious. I think it was made uh, in a way to ape pulp characters like doc savage and also kind of be an homage to serials and and sometimes even in serials you have these edits because serials had to run a certain length of time where you're like okay what just happened how did we get from there to here and there are there are a couple of time gaps in in the film and I don't know if it was just bad editing or if those things no. were deliberately placed. Okay, I, I, to, I could to see, mimic that feel. I could see your point, but there are films that were that fit all of that. Mm -hmm. 
and are still really good films that are crafted well. The Indiana Jones films, the Star Wars, the first Star Wars films, you know, the original trilogy of Star Wars, we're, we're trying to do the exact same thing. And, right. and you don't have half the plot on the cutting room floor. I'm exaggerating right. with half the plot, but there uh, wasn't much of a plot in this film to begin with. Well, I mean, there was. You had um, the the. It's race, pretty basic. Racist Planet Ten has two races of um, aliens on it that hate each other, and one is evil and one is good. And the evil ones were banished to the eighth dimension and are trying to get back home to uh, take over. Mm -hmm. And it's up to Buckaroo Banzai and his gang of merry pranksters to to save the day because the quote-unquote good aliens are going to blow up the earth if if we don't clean up their mess right that's the plot of the of right the it, they're going to use they're going to use the policy of mutually assured destruction that was so commonplace in the 80s to make sure that if buckaroo bonsai fails that these guys don't get off the planet because they're just going to wipe out the whole planet to make sure that they don't escape. Right. Which, you know, America. <laughs> now I could see that being a, a, a plot from the fifties taken from that era. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, cause you have shit like that, like, um, day the earth stood still. Exactly. The day the earth stood still stands out. Mm-hmm. So, and I think maybe they were trying to to take all the cheesy parts of um, pulp fiction and pop culture, like monster mm -hmm. movies from that era, and and craft a film just of the cheesy parts. Right, right. And well, I mean, you you mentioned Indiana Jones. You mentioned uh, the original trilogy of Star Wars. Both of those films took the good parts of the pulp era or the pulp and uh, serial motion picture era and put them into films. And we got good films out of it. Buckaroo Banzai kind of takes that fifties um, cheesy sci-fi type of thing going on. Uh, it's almost very silver age of comics sort of thing. It's very clean movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, real, you know, kind of family friendly sort of thing, almost excessively so. Like, uh, and it gives you that kind of old Batman and Robin with, you know, the Joker's plan to take over Gotham this month is to build a giant squirt flower that just is going to douse uh, the Gotham River. Yeah. You know? But that, to me, that never works outside of comics and animation. Right. Um, you know, if you had made um, Batman Brave and the Bold, the the, the animated series, mm -hmm. into a live action serial, it would have sucked balls. It would have completely, mm -hmm. it wouldn't have worked. It would have been horrible. I don't know. Batman 66 was pretty good. It's entertaining. But it's cheesy as fuck. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, when was the last time you actually watched that old Batman show? Uh, I watch clips of it all the time. Uh, I mean, like, actually sat down and watched it. Not clips of it. Oh, I, if I owned it, I would. Yeah, it's it doesn't... 
it's it's bad, but it's a cheesy kind of bad. And well. in the world, in the world where Batman, you can, the most of the Batman experience you can get in cinema is ends up with Batman having a higher body count than the fucking Punisher. It's fantastic. Well, then we can get into the whole argument of should comics even be made in it? Well, that's a show for another time. Yes. Now, one of the interesting things, I mean, you had almost a, a from beyond sort of thing with this whole crossing over into the eighth dimension. But there's all, and that's probably one of the reasons I liked it because you know me. You are from beyond junkie. Yeah. Um, even though I have never seen the film. Really? Really. Man, I saw that film with my buddy John when we were freshmen in college. Mm -hmm. And we drank a pot of coffee each and smoked a bunch of pot and went to that film just like wrecked. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. And maybe if I had drank a pot of coffee and smoked a bunch of pot and watched this, I wouldn't have fallen asleep twice. I think that's I think that's one of the things about this film that it, there are a certain group of films in the eighties and most of them become cult status films that kind of do require chemical enhancement. And that was true in the sixties and the seventies as well. That's <laughs> it's, it's that old joke. Um you know, um, where the hippies stop smoking pot at a Grateful Dead show and they go sober and they're like, what the fuck am I listening to? <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. I would, I would argue, I would argue that's a fair point. Uh, one of the other interesting things that I, that I liked that they stuck into this film was the reference to war, the original war of the world's broadcast. Yeah. Now they made that a, a major plot point because all of the aliens from the eighth dimension, a lot of them were already here. Right. They were, they were part of yo-yo dyne dynamics, a yo-yo dyne propulsion, propulsion, a, a really non OSHA compliant <laughs> manufacturing facility right. with government contracts. And all the, all the, um, all the aliens were named John. All the aliens were named John. And they also applied for they all applied for social security cards on November first, nineteen thirty-eight, which was that was the big that was acing the library use role right there. Yeah, that was Jeff Goldblum's shining moment in that film. <laughs> I will say that Jeff Goldblum dressed up like a fucking troubadour cowboy. Mm -hmm. That was fantastic, Gene Autry. I mean, he was dressed like Gene Autry through most of the film. Yeah, that was kind of funny. Those damn wool chaps that he was wearing. I'm just thinking, God, that's got to be hot. But yeah, where everybody else's dress is like slick 1980s, big shoulder pads, skinny ties, that sort of thing. They almost look like Huey Lewis in the news. Yeah, yeah, they had mullets. Everyone had a mullet. Everyone had a mullet except for Jeff Goldblum. It's funny because you're used to seeing Peter Weller um, baldish. <laughs> yes. Uh, for, for Robocop fans. Or, um, you know, with short um, button-down hair for Naked Lunch fans. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but here or, you have what, is, a, what is a, his haircut now in his because he's now a history professor. He is. Yep. He does a lot of work on some of these documentary shows on on cable networks. Um, yeah. He after he retired from acting and became a history uh, history professor. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and I think he I forget what his specialty is. But uh, yeah, they have him on every once in a while, and I'm like, "Holy it's shit, that's RoboCop talking not about 80s Detroit." <laughs> it's not '80s Detroit. It's fucking RoboCop talking about Middle Ages European pottery. <laughs> that's cool. Which is which is just as bizarre as RoboCop. I buy that for a dollar. Uh, yeah, and this was this film was really before a lot of these actors really took off. I mean, John Lithgow and Chris Christopher. This was eighty four. Christopher um, Lloyd was already. Um, yeah, everybody remembered him from Taxi. Taxi, exactly. But, but this, but this and John Lithgow was, you know, he was he had a number of big roles. Uh, I think he followed this one up though with uh, Howard. No, that wasn't John Lithgow. <laughs> And Howard the Duck. Another great cult classic. Right. Which I like this movie better than Howard the Duck. Well, Howard the Duck's kind of got like, it's like Battlefield Earth levels of crap. Mm -hmm. Buckaroo Banzai and his crew decide that, okay, we're going to do this. They defeat the aliens. Of course. And, of and course. really boringly, I might add. Yeah, like one, this, one shot. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like there's this non-chase chase scene um, in spacecraft and where the most exciting thing is the no my left joke. Right. <laughs> Go left. I am going left. No, my left. Uh, it drives like, like a – it flies like a truck. Right. Great. What's a truck? Vertically down. Yes, that's how trucks drive. And then they they discover a, a a gun because it looks like a gun, like a handgun. Mm -hmm. That's the laser, the ship's laser. And one shot, boom, that's the end. Well, no, it is a concentrated yeah. fire as a laser would be. Yeah, but no dog fighting, no Right, there's no like, oh, there's no drama to the yeah, there's there's, there's no, no like, no like the the one vehicle goes through the canyon sideways and ha the other one has to loop around and bootleg reverse and come up in front of it and nothing like that. It's just a simple right. Bang. And I think and I think that's what a lot of your your issue might be with it is that there is no dramatic tension in this there's film, absolutely whatsoever. No it is flat. This film is flat, and even the the parts where you kind of want dramatic tension there is none because you have ellen barkin um who is the love interest of of uh of of buckaroo bonsai penny pretty mm. is the twin sister of his of his dead wife so he falls in love with her and she gets kidnapped by john whatever big booty um, big booty, one of the Johns, <laughs> and tortured, and there's no tension at all in that. It's just kind of like, yeah. oh, okay, well, I hope there's, she's all right. There's, there's no, there's no romantic tension. There's, yeah, there's no, 
there's absolutely no chemistry between um, Peter Weller and Ellen Barkin. No, there's no chemistry, and and Ellen Barkin is just kind of there. Yeah, I think she's just like, I got to do this movie. I don't know how I got into this. I'm going to fire my agent. Yeah, I mean, she's everyone because Ellen Barkin is not a bad actress. No, she's a good actress, and Quite every, everyone else is kind of like hamming it up and getting mm-hmm. into it. Like especially John Lithgow, I will say. Right. John Lithgow is John cool. Lithgow. He is funny as shit. Wesley Young kind of Italian accent. <laughs> yeah, he he is. There's the the Wes mentioned. <laughs> of course, he is funny. He's great, uh, and everybody else. Even though I didn't really like the movie, you can tell they were having fun doing it. And then Ellen Barkin was just kind of like, um, fresh out of acting school. Right, and she was like, she wasn't even hamming it up. She was like, it was, it was like, um, she was trying to play it straight. Christian Hayden, Hayden levels, Christensen. Hayden Christensen levels of of de- line delivery. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, that's one of that's one of the things I enjoyed about the movie is everybody's hamming it up, except for Ellen Barkin. Yeah. I mean, everybody knows what they're doing. They they read the script. They're like, "Oh, this goddamn thing is ridiculous. Let's do it." I mean, I wonder if all those guys were hanging out at a bar one night and decided, "Hey, let's make a shitty movie and pool our we'll pool our money and we'll make the shittiest movie we can think of." Right. right. And that's a possibility. That's a possibility. So, anything about the director of the film? I didn't. I didn't scan him on IMDb. Yeah, I, I honestly, I watched this movie and 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 I, I literally did almost fall. Asleep. Well, I did fall asleep twice. I had to go back and, and rewatch parts of it. Mm-hmm. Um, just yeah, there's nothing. It's it's like a flat line all the way through. Mm-hmm. I did like the end. I do enjoy a good um, ensemble cast walking. Oh yeah, the the that that ending scene with the theme yes. song and everybody's walking in time. Yes, I enjoyed that. It was the best part of the movie. I like it in um in in uh, Steve Zissou, the the Life Aquatic, mm-hmm. like when they do that at the end. Of course, they're doing it to Queen Bitch at the end of that film. So right, and then there's um didn't Reservoir Dogs have a scene like that as well? Uh, yeah, it wasn't the end, but it was they had like that slow mo everyone going. Mm-hmm. I think that was right before. The robbery went bad. Yeah, I think it was close to that point. I do like a I do like a walking montage. That is a, that was a really great scene. I I really enjoyed I, that too. It was beautifully it choreographed. An hour and a half, and it would have been a really. Good I have watched that a couple of times. <laughs> I actually had to watch that one more time before we went on the air, because you know that scene you know is all over YouTube. You can find it. It's like everyone's favorite part of the movie, I guess. But Hands yeah, I thought it was. Uh, I thought that scene was particularly well done. Um, Jeff Goldblum, if you're if you're one of these people who are a Jeff Goldblum fan, if you're on the Jeff the current Jeff Goldblum bandwagon, right, and you haven't seen this movie, it is it is classic Jeff Goldblum. It really is. Yeah, and and, and here's the other thing: everyone in this film is so young. Mm-hmm. I mean, wow. Like, Clancy Brown 
if you once you realize it's Clancy Brown, you can tell that it's Clancy Brown. But before I realized it was Clancy Brown, I was like, wow, who the fuck is that? Right. And then you're yeah, like, it's a really young Clancy Brown. Mm -hmm. This is like uh, Kurgan era. Yeah, this Clancy is Brown. before he before he um, popularized the term fuckstick. Yep. Clancy and he doesn't Brown. and he doesn't have that so i'm used to clancy brown lex luthor mm -hmm. so he and he's not using that luthor voice so right he's not using his he hasn't perfected that really deep voice delivery that he does yes and which has gotten deeper as he has gotten older but it's coming he just, he pitches it with a little bit of a west a cowboy twang right because he's rawhide right that's his. yeah he's rawhide as his code name. I guess that was kind of funny is that he was known as Rawhide and dressed just like a regular 80s guy and Jeff Goldblum dressed his like his New Jersey <laughs> and he dressed like a cowboy, a G Daughtry cowboy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that was interesting. But I mean there's a, it's little bits and bobs about this movie that make it entertaining for me. And it's little things like it's young Clancy Brown. It's Jeff Goldblum has not at, performed differently in a role. <laughs> and, and that kind of bothers me about this whole cult of Jeff Goldblum is he really does play the same character in everything he's in. Mm -hmm. Everything. Right. New Jersey is closer to Ian Malcolm than, than uh, the guy in the fly. Yeah, but even so, it's kind of like that manic energy that he has. It's like manic and erotic at the same time, and and it's it's manic and erotic, and at the and also oh, erotic, not erotic. Uh, well, I mean, I guess, I guess well, <laughs> I guess that one shirtless leaning back thing from, from uh, Jurassic, Jurassic Park, Park is is erotic if you're on the bandwagon and you're right. I don't know, Right, it's manic and neurotic, but also kind of strangely laid back at the same time. Yeah, because that's just his character. It's it's also how he played, uh, how he played the uh, game master. The game ma it was game master. It's not the game master. It's uh, shit. Collector, see the collector. No, no. no, he's the collector's brother. The guy, the guy on. Uh, the guy in charge of the games in Thor Ragnarok. It's, it's something master. Grandmaster. The Grandmaster. Grand, Grandmaster. Same same character. Yeah, well he's he that's what he does. Mm -hmm. I think that's the, what he does. And I think I think what makes it work for him is the setting they put it in. I think really the fly is his is his ultimate role and i think that's because gina davis is in that movie oh really not not earth girls are easy no see that's another one that's just kind of like why why do you people revere these films <laughs> <laughs> oh you you you're putting him in with the fly is his greatest movie i uh, i'm i'm gonna say jurassic park was his best movie was his best performance because uh, even reading the novel, Ian Malcolm was always my favorite character of that that story. Okay, I, I, I can I can give you Jurassic Park. 
I mean, I prefer the, his role in The Fly, but yeah, I mean, that's like definitely his era. Mm -hmm. I guess this is like right before that that kind of happened to him, right? <clears throat> well, what was The Fly? Wasn't The Fly like '86 or something? Yeah, uh, like it was right around the same time, right? It was like Jeff Goldblum. I think this is something they were doing while they were in town filming other projects. It could be. <laughs> because but, I know, think it, I think we'd have to check everybody's filmography, but I think every everyone that was in that film had a big movie that came out not too long afterward. Uh, Peter Weller did ended up doing Robocop, Cop, which was uh, 1987. Um, Christopher Lloyd was in the Back to the Future films. That was, what, 86? I think 86 was the first Back to the Future film. And then Clancy Brown was the Kurgan. What what year was um, Highlander? I think I want to say Highlander. We might have been later in eighty four or eighty five. Then um, Ellen Barkin was in a bunch of stuff in the eighties mm -hmm. that she actually acted you know, acted during. Yeah, what didn't phone it in? Right. Um, Jeff Goldblum ended up doing The Fly. Well, John Lithgow was in a number of things as well. Right. Um, so Slow eye, balding guy. Uh, he <laughs> was. Let's see. What was that? What the fuck his name is? Yeah, because he's in everything. He was in. I'm, I'm the first thing I remember seeing him in was Ghost. See, I saw Ghost so long ago. Yeah, I don't even remember when that movie was was made. I think it was early '90s because it was during the big Whoopi Goldberg craze. All right. So his name is Vincent. Um, Schiavelli. Hmm. Oh, he was John O'Connor, not John Big Booty. Yeah, Christopher Lloyd was John Big Booty. Right. Robert Ito was Professor Hikita. Hmm. Jamie Lee Curtis was in this film. Who was Jamie Lee Curtis? Sandra Banzai. That would be Ellen Barkin's sister. Uh, Sandra Banzai would probably be his mother. Jamie Lee Curtis wasn't old enough to play a mother back then. And when, when did you ever see his mother in that film? Might have been when I fell asleep. Or maybe Jamie Lee Curtis was the uh, young woman who opened the door at the bonsai house. Oh, maybe. Maybe she's the sister. Oh, okay. Well, that would make more sense. And uh, here's the point <laughs> where I almost gave up. Okay. President, the president's briefing and fucking Yakov Smirnov is in the <laughs> fucking room. And not only is it, it's fucking Yakov Smirnov before he hit it big, mm -hmm. but he's playing a motherfucker named Smirnov. Right. So, I mean, Jesus fucking Christ. I know the 80s is, is, has all of the, that happens all the time. You had, um, um, what's it, Joey Lawrence playing a guy named Joey. Right. right. Um, Tony Danza constantly. Tony Danza playing uh, always Tony. playing a guy named Tony. But I mean, you get the one, the one Russian actor in the United States. Well, not the one, but the 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 one that everybody knows. And they, I, mean, I think Dolph Lundgren was pretty well known at this time as well. well is he Russian though? No, he's I don't Russian. think he's Russian. I think he's he just like, played Russians. He played Russians a lot, but I think he's. I um, must break you. Right. The showdown in Little Tokyo. 
Yeah. So Yakov Smirnov, I I really I I was like, oh, I can't, I can't even. <laughs> <laughs> but there is also kind of a little Doctor Strange love nod there toward the end with Declaration of War, the short form. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's. And what the hell happened to the president of the United States that he's running the country from a hospital room in Walter Reed? Yeah, with, I'm, a, I'm like a, a back, an inverted back um, brace. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's like one of those things that, like, maybe the explanation hit the cutting room floor at some point. They decided that maybe it it slowed down the pacing of the film. Well, well, it also it's also it's kind of meant to be. Once again, going back to the serial, it, you know, it's Buckaroo Banzai in across the eighth dimension. Right. And and they at the end they do have state coming soon, Buckaroo right. Banzai, the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai in versus the world crime yeah, yeah. The world crime Which would probably be a better film. But possibly who knows i mean that did might they even intend to make that film or right. did they just put it in there that's their history of the world part two right, right. like this is the middle that's, chapter of that's their jews in space that was adventures of buckaroo bonsai a bit of a mixed bag um but i would say check it out if you if you have some time to kill on an afternoon i would um, say steve stay, stay as far away smoke a lot of pot Call up Joel Hodgson because that's really the only way you can enjoy this film is to have um, the MST people doing this shit. It might be worth looking into if there is a riff track for this film. I'm sure. Yeah, there, there very is. well could be because that's the kind of film it is. Right. It did not make it to the rebooted season of MST3K, which is not as good. No, but they're doing a second, um, a second series, a second season. I'm not in Britain. Sorry, recovering from last night where I had to be British. Hello, being British. Bad, uh, bad accents all around, huh? Oh my God, you totally. Yeah, you can cut this out if you want, but if if this makes it to the podcast, everyone go and listen to the scratch scratch. Um, Actual play because you get to hear Wes. Just <laughs> wow, just wow. He, 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 he brings it. He brings it. His he brings his finest John Lithgow. Oh my John god, Lithgow's Italian. Huh? He Wes last night made um, Dick Van Dyke sound like he was from fucking Leeds. Really, he tried to do Cockney. <laughs> it was just no. He just. Tried to do just like a English, like generic English, mm -hmm. and yeah, it was it was bad. It was bad. It was bad. It was it was hilarious, but it was bad. Um, I believe that will still be live on YouTube. Um, by the time this goes up, yeah, yeah, we we broadcast that one live. So, all right, so. Buckaroo Banzai. Get wasted and watch it. Yeah, get wasted do a and watch tracks. it and, and do a riff tracks for it. And until next time, keep 30 left point.